Support for this podcast is brought to you by the Island of Misfit Toys. Are you looking for the perfect Christmas toy to give to your child this holiday season? Why break the bank while dealing with the stress of long lines and waiting lists? Instead, visit the Island of Misfit Toys and help a toy in need find its forever home this year. King Moon Racer plays host to a plethora of unique toys just waiting to find a special child to love them unconditionally and will gladly help you pick out the one perfectly suited to their needs. From Charlie in the boxes to spotted elephants to trains with square wheels on their cabooses, we promise you'll find something your child will love that none of their fellow classmates will have. So this Christmas, come on down to the Island of Misfit Toys and adopt. Don't shop. Make sure to mention Tis the Podcast to have your paperwork fees waived. Enjoy the show. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to keeping the spirit of Christmas alive 365 days a year. I'm Tom. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. And we have a very special guest today. We have Brian Earl from Christmas Past Podcast. Hey, Brian. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for Yay, coming. Yay, Brian. We're, uh, we're really excited to have you. You're, we feel like we're, uh, we're with a celebrity today. Oh, well, thanks very much. And I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> when I started this podcast, it was only last year that I started it. And when I did, I reached out to the person I consider the godfather of Christmas podcasts, Lee Cameron from The Christmas Stocking. He's kind of the, the OG when it comes to Christmas podcasts. And I had no idea how to even start a podcast or even how to use a microphone or recording software for that matter. And I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? Uh, first of all, because he was at the time the only other Christmas podcaster. So I wanted to make sure it was okay with him that I was going to be another entry to the marketplace. Figured um, if he got back to me at all, that would be something special. And he, you know, he got right back to me and we sort of traded emails for a little while and he kind of helped me get up and running and gave me a little nod in one of his episodes last year. And I'll always be grateful to him for that. And well, your advice to us when we started out was really helpful as well through Reddit when we were exchanging messages back and forth. Oh, I'm glad that did help. And I have to admit that um, when, I, when I help other Christmas podcasters, I'm being a little bit selfish because if you put Christmas into iTunes and look for podcasts, there's like only about a dozen and the world needs more Christmas podcasters. So I'll just put it out there. If anyone's interested in starting a Christmas podcast, uh, look me up, ping me. I am glad to help you because that means more podcasts for me to listen to. I mean, I think what you guys are doing and what all the new Christmas podcasts that are popping up, I think, I, I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating at all to say that we're really part of a small revolution. In five years, 10 years, Christmas podcasts are going to be standard Christmas entertainment in the same yep. way that television and, and movies and, and music are. And we're right at the beginning of that. So I just feel really lucky and proud to be doing what we're doing. And I really want to see it grow. And I want to help other people who are interested in getting started. Absolutely. For those of you out there who aren't as familiar with some of the other podcasts, we'll have links to them on all of our social media. But uh, when we undertook this, this project, um, this joint project this year for Christmas, I was amazed at how unbelievably supportive 
the Christmas podcasting community is. It was all just everybody wanted to collaborate and work together. So that was pretty exciting. Brian, we asked Brian to join us for an episode and he chose Rudolph, which is what we'll be discussing tonight. The uh, 1964 Rankin-Bass Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Julia, do you mind giving a quick plot synopsis? Sure thing. When Donner, one of Santa's lead reindeer, has a fawn, it's a time for rejoicing until he notices the young buck is a little different. Rudolph has a shiny red nose. After a failed attempt to hide his unique schnoz, Rudolph is taunted and ousted by the other reindeer, so he leaves Christmastown. On his way, he teams up with Hermie, an elf who wants to be a dentist instead of making toys, and Cornelius, an indecisive gold and silver prospector. While running from the deadly, abominable snowman, they stumble across the island of misfit toys, who ask for the ragtag team's help getting the word to Santa about the island. After some close calls and near peril, the team makes their way back to Christmastown just in time for an unlikely hero to save Christmas. That was a fun plot synopsis, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. I especially like schnoz being incorporated. Did you like that? Did you like that? That makes me happy. Uh, so this film was, as we said, produced by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass, who did so many Christmas movies, all the claymation and uh, animated films that, that I grew up on like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the Little Drummer Boy. They really made a, an impact on the Christmas specials in the 1960s. It was written by Romeo Mueller, who also wrote several of the Rankin-Bass films. Had a wonderful narration by Burl Ives. We got to hear his voice crooning us throughout the movie. So let's talk histories. Brian, what's your history with this movie? Well, I think like anyone who was born after 1964, um, <laughs> this movie is something that I have just probably seen every year since birth. So I imagine the first time I ever saw this, I was about seven months old. So I, I can't really say what my, my initial impressions of it were. Um, but it's, I mean, like for most of us, it's been around since well before we were born. It's just always been part of Christmas. And I can't say that I have seen it in its entirety every year of my life, but I've seen, it's, I've seen parts of it at least every year. And for the last couple of years, I've watched it in its entirety. And maybe it's premature to bring this up, but when we say to see the, the show in its entirety, that can mean different things depending on which version you see. Mm -hmm. uh, this movie's gone through a lot of different versions with scenes cut and added in and plot lines changed and different musical numbers switched in. So I'm talking about the standard one that was aired up until 2008. The broadcast version that comes out since 2008 and onward has the second musical number. They, they omit the uh, We're All Misfits number and put in the Fame and Fortune musical number. And that's, I think, to make time for, for more musical or, or for more commercials. But so the standard one, the one that's on the DVD and the one that most of us grew up watching, I have seen, yep, pretty much every year since, since I was born. So interesting side note fact for you, Brian. Uh, Rudolph was released the same day my mother was born. So she always loved Rudolph. I mean, it's her favorite Christmas movie. And she's got, you know, her little um, shrine to Rudolph that comes out around October every year at, back home. I, like you, I don't know Christmas without it. Um, mm. It's been so part of our family. We would, you know, stop what we were doing and, and gather around and watch it when it came on TV just about every year. And like you, there were several years where I didn't see it in its, in its entirety. I would catch bits and pieces. Um, that's been especially true for the last few years. And, and so it was nice to this year to uh, sit down and watch two versions of it in their entirety and, and look at it. Although I have to say, since we started this podcast and started watching some of these with a more critical eye, it's stolen a little bit of the... The Christmas magic. I think we'll get into that a little later, though. How about you, Julia? Um, I can't remember the first time I saw this movie. I would imagine it's probably when I was 
pretty young, but I'm going to echo what y'all have said. I've seen it probably either in part or in full every year since whenever it was the first time I saw it. Um, You know, it's one of the most recognizable Christmas movies of all time, easily. So we watch it and by default, my kids watch it as well every year. I'm excited to talk about this one, especially with Brian. And Anthony, how about you? I don't remember A Christmas without Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Like all of you, I saw (laughs) it probably every year since I was born. Um, But I know I've seen it in full every single year. Since then, every year, I make a point to watch it in full. Um, It was my mom's favorite, like yours, Tom. She wasn't born the day it was released, but it was always her favorite growing up. And uh, so it was her favorite to sit down and watch with us while me and my sister were growing up. For a long time, this was my favorite Rankin-Bass claymation animated special. I don't think it is now. Like you mentioned, Tom, uh, sitting down to watch it last night with a more critical eye for this podcast, I, uh, I won't say it ruined the magic for me, but I found a lot of quote-unquote flaws with this film that they probably could have fixed to make it a better movie. I'm not sure it holds up as well as some of the other Rankin Bass. We'll get into that when we dive into the movie. But yeah, overall, I still love this movie. Flaws and all. Well, let's jump right in and talk characters, guys. And uh, we'll let you lead the way on this one, Brian. Uh, Aside from Rudolph, who was your favorite character in here and why? My favorite character is Clarice. Partly because my favorite scene is that there's always tomorrow number. Mm-hmm. That was the one where they were just swinging for the fences with that musical number. Some of the other ones are a little more disposable, but that's the big one. Um, and I, some you guys have already mentioned that there are some flaws in the movie. And this is, even though Clarissa is probably my favorite character, she and the other female characters in this movie are not portrayed uh, in a way that would really hold up today, right? Every female character is either some kind of nurturing caregiver a love interest, or a damsel in distress. I mean, find me a counterexample of a female character in this movie who is anything other than one of those three things. Uh, so, and she's all three, right? Mm-hmm. Clarice starts off as the, the person who gives him comfort when he's feeling uh, sad about being made fun of by the other reindeer. She's the love interest. And then, of course, at that climactic scene, he, she's the damsel in distress when the bumble has them all in his grip and he saves them. And then if you listen to the narration, Girl Lives narration, when the storm is hitting, he's like, if the, the, if the thing they had to do at that point was get the women back to Christmas town. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, to save the women. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, she was, she was the most endearing, right? Because she, I think, was the one who maybe gave Rudolph his first, the first one to show Rudolph any kind of kindness other than his mother. I'm going to come out swinging here. <laughs> I uh, don't like Clarissa's musical number. I think it's a beautiful number don't get me wrong but i think this was the first point in the movie when i was watching it last night i was like uh this probably could have been trimmed to streamline the movie a little more and make it more of a uh tighter narration and uh i would liken it to when we covered muppets christmas carol we were talking about how in every musical version of a christmas carol there's always that really slow kind of grinds a musical to a halt number that Elizabeth sings to Scrooge when they're in the past. Mm-hmm. And I would liken it to this. Like I just not a fan of it. And I don't know if Julia's agreeing with me or disagreeing with me, but she's shaking her head. <laughs> yeah. So that's really funny. You brought up Christmas Carol specifically because that's what I think about this part too. <laughs> is, <laughs> is it's that musical 
it's, I mean, particularly the Muppet one, how I was so excited that they cut that song from the version I was watching. But I love the sentiment behind this one a lot more than I love mm-hmm. the sentiment behind the, the Christmas Carol version of it. Uh, absolutely. No, but, guys, yeah. this, is the, this is a beautiful, sweet song that's there to lift up. It's, it's there to lift up Rudolph for the first time. This guy's just been kind of a punching bag. Mm-hmm. And we see this this warm, friendly face. I, mm, really I love the, the movie would have. I, I think really the movie would have been just as affected with just a misfit song with Hermie. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll hold off on that one. I just really want to throw out. I just really want to throw out a Christmas and Hollis fight right now. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> uh, just but in terms of, of the, the character, I know there's not much to her, um, but there is something about her that I just you know she. she kind of comes in and helps the poor little guy with his self-esteem. And, you know, she's really his one, um, I don't know, just like the, the first character to come along and show him any kind of kindness and give him any kind of confidence. So the one aspect with her, the, the one aspect of, 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 of a quasi-pro-feminist stance in this movie that I saw was, was with her and Rudolph's mother. Uh, when, when Donner goes to leave and he's like, this is man's work. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Clarice and, and Rudolph's mother, she was in no way swayed by what he said. She was not daunted by the task. She was immediately ready to go. And I, I like that in her character. Um, that was immediately undercut by them getting captured and having to be rescued, though. The, the, the needing to be rescued, to me, wasn't so much the, the bad part. It was that line where they said to get the women back to safety. Yeah. Um, it was the 60s, guys. It was a different time. It was. It was a different time. <laughs> did, did women's suffrage happen before the 60s? It did. Mm-hmm. It did. Just not on film. Just not in stop animation. I legitimately, while I was in my undergrad, heard somebody discussing they didn't know why people were so for women's suffrage because they were very opposed to women's suffering. And I was <laughs> legit, legit. I'm like, this is at a, a four-year higher education institution okay wait, wait julia i'm gonna counter okay. that it did it did happen on film didn't mrs claus in the year without a santa claus set out with the elves to try to save christmas didn't she wasn't she the one who tried to get the miser brothers to cooperate to help santa claus point taken just saying julia how about you who's your favorite character in this film i'm gonna preface all of this by saying i I'm not as much of a fan of this movie as probably everybody else's, but I get the most enjoyment in this movie from Sam, the snowman. I love his voice. I love his movements and it's Burl Ives and Burl Ives is like the pinnacle Christmas voice in speech and in song to me. So whenever I hear his voice and whenever I hear the songs I'm immediately in Christmas mode. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right, Anthony, I was going to ask you, but I'm going to second what Julia said and just cut you here. Uh, Sam is my favorite as well. He's so iconic. Um, And I think I love Sam. I love seeing Sam even more after Elf has become such a staple in my Christmas canon. Just seeing the, uh, the, how how influential Sam was to Christmas films. Mm -hmm. I love him even more. But yes, I, I mean, Burl Ives' voice is just... It's so relaxing, cathartic, and Christmassy. I can just almost feel the snowflakes every time I hear him sing. I gotta say this: Sam was my least favorite, along with Yukon Cornelius. But uh, yeah, oh, I like Yukon too. Oh, 
annoying. <laughs> yes, I, thank I you. Like he, you he, no. You could lift him out of this movie and it would yeah. be a better movie. I don't yeah. like him. He makes me laugh. In the original script, he wasn't looking for silver and gold. He was looking for a peppermint mine. So when he throws his ax down, he's looking it for peppermint and they change the dialogue later. Well, that Which line still is at the I end. I like that. Well, in the version I watched yesterday, the line is still at the end. When yeah, he, he finds... finds the peppermint mine at the yep. end. Yeah. Um, but, okay, but my favorite characters are the Misfit Toys. There's something endearing about the whole Misfit Toys plotline. I love the Misfit Toys, all of them, particularly the Spotted Elephant and the uh, train with the square wheels on its caboose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think in that whole part of the story, my favorite character is King Moon Racer. And I almost feel like in the same way that you can tell the Wizard of Oz from the uh, good witches or the bad witches perspective, like with Wicked, I would love to see this whole story retold from King Moon Racer. <laughs> <laughs> they go to King Moon Racer like, hey, we're misfits too. Can we stay here? And he's like, uh, not only can you not stay, but by the way, can you hook us up with some help from Santa? <laughs> But the first time you see King Moonraiser, he's flying around. And you, that's his backstory. He flies around the earth every night. So, so just like Santa Claus, except instead of giving children toys, he's like finding misfit toys and bringing them back to the island. There's a story there. There is a definite story. Toy Story 3 missed out on the opportunity to have King Moonraiser find the toys when Andy <laughs> got rid of them and bring them back to the misfit oh. island. They missed talk, a about real... the, talk about creating yeah. some connected universe with cartoons. Um. <laughs> But real quick, I'd also be remiss, and I meant to mention it with the Misfits. My other favorite character is the Bumble, the abominable snowman. I love him. I think I just love his design and how he is the most harmless creature ever once you pull out the teeth. <laughs> Despite the fact that he towers over them. And... Yeah. Yep. And there's, there's a scene that I think we need to talk about is when... The dentist, I mean, if, if this were any other, in any other context of this dentist that knocks a creature unconscious and yanks all its teeth out in the middle of, in a children's program, and you see all the teeth like lying on the ground in the snow. Oh, yeah. That is terrifying. exceptionally, that is like Tom and Jerry level violence. In a, in a, <laughs> really makes me feel warm and fuzzy about going to the dentist, that's for sure. So while we're on the, the Misfit Toys, before we go back and hit some of the major characters, I could not stand the Charlie in a Box. I know you like the Misfit it's Toys. The voice. the voice. He's so whiny. Well, oh. I think one of the things about the Misfit Toys I find so endearing is some of them aren't really misfits, right? Like, how come the Charlie in the Box can't cut, just call himself Jack? And, well, I think uh, the, the real one is the, uh, the doll, the one who curtsies and says, how do you do? And you never really find out what her flaw is. So again, this, the only other female character. So let's name all the female characters in the movie. So <laughs> Miss, Mrs. Claus, right? Again, the nurturing caregiver. All she does is just right? feed, feed Santa. Um, eat, Papa, Vixen. eat. Yeah, then there's Vixen, who's only referred to Vixen once. Then after that, she's Mrs. Donner, right? The Rudolph's mom. Then there's Clarice, and then there's the girl, the um, whatever. I don't think she has a name, but the the doll character. And you know, she's just there to just be a doll. Like, there's not even anything wrong with her, right? She's just, you know, she curtsies, and that's that's her deal. And an NPR <laughs> interview decades later, Rankin, I think it was Rankin, right? Arthur Rankin, Rankin Jr. Uh, revealed that her attribute that made her a misfit was her depression. She was oh. abandoned and couldn't get over that. He said uh, it was more psychological than physical. 
That, Interesting. Uh, yeah. Kind of like how Meryl Streep says she gives all of her characters a secret, but you don't know what they are. That sounds, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like covering your bases, if you ask me. It, I, think, I think that's Brian advocating for Meryl Streep to play the doll in the inevitable live-action remake of this movie. <laughs> no, I, I'm, with, I'm with you, Brian. I think, it was, I think it's more of an afterthought. They, they look at it and they're like, huh. Well, she sang this song and cried, but really had no purpose. Uh, mental illness. Yeah. No, like, but, forgot about but that. But seriously, if you look at the misfits, okay, like the water pistol that shoots jelly, put water in you. Like, what makes yeah, happen to the misfits? Like, it's these, uh, they, they're easy little things they could change about themselves, and maybe that's the point, but. Self improvement. Well, in the, the train with the square wheels, it still gets around. It's not like he's, he's stuck. Right. Right. But Moonracer sees all past all of that and, and just has compassion on these sweet, weird toys. Hmm. Can we talk about Santa Claus? Hashtag not my Santa. Hashtag not my Santa. <laughs> He's so is cute this, though. He is so cute. Precious. And he makes a He has evil eyes. Very grouchy though. I think we ha- we he all is. have to admit. He doesn't like oh, yeah. the song. He's mean to Rudolph. He, um, yeah. What goes yeah, beyond mean to Rudolph? Sorry, his attitude is awful. Telling I don't know what to you should be. You should be ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Because yeah. your son has a deformity. <laughs> like it's horrible. <laughs> but like even with the elves, when Mrs. Claus forces him to sit and watch their song, mm-hmm. he can't even hide his annoyance. He puts his hand to his forehead, shaking his head. And then when they finish, he's just like, need they some need work. work. And then gets yeah. up and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's always was... that, that undercurrent of like, he lives in a castle with all these elves who are like working for him. You know, it's almost like, like, a, like a sweatshop kind of environment. And, you know, he makes them sing songs for him. He's like, ah, whatever, you know, that's, that's no good. We, we briefly <laughs> talked about this earlier, but so all these Rankin Bass specials are supposed to be connected. It's the same continuity. And you had said, Tom, that his personality in this is completely different than his personality was in Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue, maybe, you know, he's been alive for like centuries at this point. He's just a bitter old man, but I don't know. The one thing jarring. about his, his storyline... Uh, is that there's that plot about how he needs to gain some weight. Mm-hmm. And, and if you've, I, I watched it again last night. And so I think the timeline is that as of Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve, he still hasn't put on any weight. And then on Christmas, it, like he just like 70 pounds, just passed it on. Like in one, <laughs> I think if there's a deleted scene of him just like plowing down all that food to, to where he puts, cause like he's, he goes from thin to very, very large in about two days. <laughs> And can we point out, he never, and this, people make fun of this all the time when they're making fun, like, just ripping on the movie. He doesn't really ever come to accept Rudolph for who he is. Like, he only asked him to be part of his team because I need a light to get through this storm. Mm -hmm. He he never apologized or anything to how he treated him. It's just kind of, I need you tonight. Will you do this for me? And Rudolph was a bigger person and said, yes. Well, there's also the the, uh, the storyline with his parents because if you know you know the song which starts out you know Dasher and Dancer, mm-hmm. and so Vixen and Donner 
are, are pulling Santa's sleigh too. So like his dad who rejected him is now behind him on the night that he's pulling Santa's sleigh. And the best he can say is there's one part where he's like, oh, I knew it all along. But there must, there could have been more of like a father-son scene there because now all of a sudden his son has bested him and is leading Santa's sleigh for the night. Donner and Vixen aren't actually leading the sleigh at the end. They're on the ground when six reindeer and Rudolph take off. Oh, well, that's even worse in a way. Why? I don't know. But if you look at the end scene when they're delivering the misfit toys, six reindeer and Rudolph, and I assume it's Donner and Vixen because Donner watches him take off. So I assume Mm. Vixen's on the ground with him somewhere. All of the reindeers are are, are jerks, all of them. Rudolph's friends who suddenly mock him and gets, I mean, you get scared because his nose glows, but then you have Comet, Comet, who's the coach. Come on, gang. From now on, we're not letting Rudolph play in any of our reindeer games. (laughs) That's like the nightmare high school gym coach. (laughs) It is. If a teacher ever said that to one of my kids, do you know how fast I would be down (laughs) at that school to complain? Yeah. So I said, I said during the Santa Claus episode, Comet was my favorite reindeer. He was my least favorite reindeer in this special. Mm. I still think Donner's worse. As a dad, yeah, you're probably right. Biff from Back to the Future? Yeah. <gasps> he is Biff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that That's a fun little spin on this movie. Everybody in authority in Christmas Town seems to be a total jerk. The, the head elf as well, how absolutely awfully mean he is. And did you guys notice the weird? Did you guys notice the weird thing with his voice when what weird uh, thing? the the head elf? He's got you know that deep raspy voice. Yeah. But when, but when he announces to Santa and them that they're gonna sing, he gets this high pitched squealy voice. Oh. <laughs> um, I blame this on me not paying super close attention to this movie when I was a kid. But whenever I see that elf, the only thing I see in my brain is Alec Baldwin playing the elf in the Saturday Night Live skit where he's the head elf. (laughs) And it's basically that take on Glengarry Glen Ross, right? Wasn't that the name of the movie? It was. And always be closing. All I see is a little claymation Alec Baldwin. (laughs) That's so funny. So I think we've covered all the ancillary characters, but the show really revolves around two characters and their journeys, Rudolph and Hermie. I still love Rudolph. I mean, this poor, marginalized young buck goes out. Not only does he try to get away from everybody just to make their lives easier because he feels like he's an embarrassment, but when he's with his friends and he finds his tribe, he feels like he's a danger to them. So when they're at the Island of Misfit Toys while uh, Yukon Cornelius and Hermie are asleep and Yukon Cornelius is doing a really loud cartoonish snore that makes me laugh every time, (laughs) Rudolph, Rudolph sneaks out just to make sure that the Bumble doesn't see him. As if I weren't already endeared enough to the character when he did that, knowing that he's got this whole, he's, he's willing to take on this life of solitude just to protect his friends. We see he is by far the most redeemable character in this entire film. Oh, for sure. Oh, okay. yeah, I do think his logic was off though, because was. you would think that during the middle of the day, his glowing nose would be much less visible than if he snuck out in the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's basically retarded during the nighttime. But... Or you would have thought he would have used his dad's trick and like covered the nose if he snuck out at night. Why does yes. the nose make noise too? Oh my god, I that whistling that. noise. 
Brian, do you have any theories on that? that? There's something about how, you know, you associate the sound with a, a dramatic moment. So maybe it's this, in the same way that, you know, when the music, when strings play in the background, you know, an emotional moment is coming up, something like that. You hmm. know, in the original uh, storybook, you know, Rudolph started out as a storybook that they gave away at the Montgomery Ward Department store mm-hmm. in the back 30s. And in that story, when he was embarrassed, his whole body would turn red and glow. And that was never in the song or the claymation or, or any, any other versions of it. But I always thought that would be a really cool visual effect but you never see it. Aww. It would certainly make Santa's journey even easier if he was glowing yeah, exactly. completely at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he was embarrassed the entire time he was flying, at that point he wouldn't be, right? Kind if Santa was just in insulting him the whole time. Like yeah, if... which would not be out of character. No, <laughs> not for this Santa. <laughs> not for this Santa. <laughs> it's really sad that we would say that about Santa. Yeah, We've had some hits and misses on Santa's in in the history of this particular podcast. We have. Uh, only um, 15 episodes in, too. We've had a lot of hits. Right? <laughs> I really find Well, the and end. I think there's a, there's a happy medium between kind of grouchy but still endearing, like Santa in Elf. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he had some rough around the edges, but we still loved him. Well, it's like I he said was- back during the Elf episode, the best Santas have the perfect mixture of – the authority where you're kind of intimidated by them. And I think the grouchiness feeds into that a little bit, but you still have to find him approachable despite yeah. being slightly intimidated by him. You have to have I wonder warmth if, still. I wonder if they were trying to balance that with how, how cute he is in this one. He's so cute. He is. I love his little skinny legs and his big old <laughs> bald head. I love him. He's super cute. If he just kept his mouth shut, It'd be perfect. He had black demon eyes. I thought the eyes were kind of cute too. He's just so cute and chubby. In the face. <laughs> so in Hermie, I'm not really sure where he got the idea to be a dentist. It also seems odd that just lying around somewhere at the North Pole, there's a book on dentistry, mm. a, a DIY dentistry book. Um, and that he has hair and most of the other elves don't. His ears aren't pointing either. Did you notice his ears are rounded? Yeah, he's, he's I guess they're just trying to maximize the misfit, misfittedness. Yeah. He clearly climbed into Santa's sack when he was a baby and Santa brought him back to the North Pole and raised him <laughs> as an elf. <laughs> so Hermie was great too. That when they sing, we're a couple of misfits, we just don't belong. Um, That's one of my favorite songs in the movie. I find that song has a, you know, if you listen to some of the lyrics, we may be different from the rest who decides the test of what is really best. I think that's a good mm-hmm. message. Like you don't, you shouldn't care what other people think of you because it's not up to them to decide if you're good enough or if you're the best, so to speak. And so, so I really that, like that song. But so this yeah. is one thing that we should probably touch on eventually is that, this show debuted in 1964, and it is broadcast in prime time every single year ever since. Right? Nothing else comes close to that. Um, you know, like other, other uh, specials created during that time, like Mr. Magoo and Charlie Brown or whatever, have either, are either older, so they haven't been broadcast as many years, or they took a hiatus and then came back, as is the case of Mr. Magoo. But so this one has been broadcast in prime time every year, and the number of people watching it is actually increasing. And so you think nowadays, like anyone can watch it whenever they want, right? Like it's on YouTube, you, you, know, you have the DVDs. But the idea of destination television, like I am going to carve out time to be in front of the TV mm-hmm. at a certain time. It's just staggering that people still want to do that. And I really think it's because now we're at a point where there are some families where three generations of people grew up watching Rudolph. 
And there's just that sense of nostalgia where I want to watch it the way that I grew up watching it, where it was a special thing that was happening and you had one chance to watch it, you know? Because when I was growing up, it was just like, it was a big deal. My mom would make these special snacks and my brothers and I, we had all these matching Winnie the Pooh pajamas. And it was just like this thing. It was like a little party in its own right. And I, I feel like that's what people are looking for when they watch it. It was so, a huge deal for us growing up too. Big deal. My mother, like the whole family would gather in front of the TV. But it's funny you said that more and more people seem to be watching it like live on TV because it was, again, it was on tonight at eight. And I think it was the first showing of the year on TV. And uh, just my whole Facebook feed, people checked in watching Rudolph, mm-hmm. watching Rudolph, watching Rudolph. And I don't see that for any other Mm-mm. show or movie like maybe Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead, but the fact that this special from 1964 is one that everyone is checking in to watch when it's airing, I found that really neat scrolling through Mm. my Facebook feed tonight. So Anthony, we now know your favorite Christmas song from this. We're a couple of misfits. Can I say my least favorite too? Yukon Cornelius' Silver and Gold. Silver and Gold. Tied with Clarice's song. (laughs) Brian, how about you? What was your favorite song from this movie? It's probably Clarice's song, and I don't care who knows it. Uh, my, <laughs> my least favorite. There are. I have to say, there are there are a couple of annoying songs in this. Uh, the the Santa or the elves when they sing for Santa. That song kind of grates on me. Um, it's pretty derivative. Yeah, I never thought about it in that context. But sure. <laughs> and I feel like there are a couple other throwaways. I wasn't keeping track, but I think there are a total of like seven numbers in this one. Maybe more, seven or nine or something like that. There's a lot. Nine of them. Nine, yeah. How many would you say off the top of your head people actually remember? Like when they're not watching it. Oh, I feel like most people could probably give you the the theme songs, right? Like Holly Mm -hmm. Jolly Christmas, Mm -hmm. uh, which was written by the same guy who wrote Rudolph, by the way. Uh, Johnny Mm -hmm. Marks, who was the brother-in-law of the guy who wrote the story to begin with. Um, What are the other? let's, Let's see if we can name them all. So there's um, Silver and Gold, Holly Jolly Christmas, uh, We're a Couple of Misfits, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, of course, the Santa's Elves song. There's Always Tomorrow. Uh, there's Always Tomorrow. So that's seven or eight. The, seven. the Misfits song. What was, um, oh, yeah. Most yeah, Wonderful yeah. Day of the Year. Most Wonderful yep. Day of the Year. Yeah. Jingle, Jingle, Jingle. Oh, that's oh, another right. one I couldn't yeah, stand. Yeah. That's Santa's song. Yeah, that's, that's down there on my list. That's not a, a good song. And uh, Fame and Fortune, which has been cut from most mm-hmm. TV broadcasts. So that's all nine. That is a lot for a runtime like this. Yeah, it is. Well, a little song. Yeah. Well, that was the, the formula. So the, the, I'm doing a whole episode on these golden age TV specials. So starting with Mr. Magoo in 1962 and ending with, I think it was, um, it might've been Rudolph. No, it wasn't Rudolph. What was the last one? might've been The Grinch. But so these are all of the primetime specials that have come out. And, you know, you sort of think like with animation being what it is now, we'd be knocking out modern classics all over the place, but nothing can hold a candle to these five that came out in the 60s. Mm-mm. And the formula was that they, they put a lot of investment into really, really good music. So in Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, for example, they hired two Broadway composers to write all the music for it because uh, they knew that the music would sell it. And the one thing they also did with a lot of them, but they didn't do with Rudolph, is that they would hire well-known voice actors. And you see that with a lot of these Disney movies today where they know that parents are going to be watching it with their kids. So they'll have a star voice the characters like the kids don't know. You know, they can't appreciate that, but the parents do. The only reason they couldn't do that with Rudolph is because it was so expensive to do the claymation that they actually did most of this in Canada. And most of the 
uh, voice actors were Canadians. And if you listen closely enough, you'll hear a couple Canadianisms, especially with uh, the coach character. You can definitely hear some Canadian pronunciations with him. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. But there was an emphasis on really, really catchy, enduring music with, with those. I was going to say that you could probably lift out about four of these songs and wouldn't change a thing in this film. Easily. Yep. And the thing is, I mean, I think taken as a whole, they were not working with much, right? They had the storybook, which they largely ignored. The, the movie is largely based on the song version of the Rudolph story. And so they had to stretch it out, right? They had to fill, it's 55 minute runtime, uh, at least in the, the, the one that's on the DVD. And so they obviously, you know, they had to add characters and plot lines. And I almost feel like they, they tried to do too much. Because think of Absolutely. all the different kinds of plot lines. So there's the, the forbidden love plot with uh, Rudolph and Clarice. There's the, if anyone who's ever studied um, uh, screenwriting or literature would recognize the story. It's very, very closely adhering to the hero's journey story yes, template. Very mm -hmm. much so. You start in the normal world of the hero, something comes along where he has to strike out on his own, meets a bunch of interesting characters, goes through a bunch of trials and tribulations, and then returns home triumphant. The only time it deviates from this is there's usually some scene where everything is looking very dark and bleak, and the hero realizes he had the strength inside him all along and overcomes some challenge. And I think that would be the moment when the Bumble has everyone held hostage. And it wasn't Rudolph that realized he had the strength. He gets knocked unconscious and his friends come and save him. And then it's at the end when he returns home that Santa's like, oh yeah, hey, you want to pull the sleigh? And th there really wasn't this like triumph of will for Rudolph. It was just sort of like lucky that he was in the right place at the right time. But otherwise, it's very much this hero's journey of going to these strange locations and meeting all these strange characters. And it was far too much to pack into 55 minutes. It was. It's all over the place. There's like the, the weird Santa plot about how he has to gain weight. There's the forbidden love plot. There's the, the Bumbles got, is chasing them. They're on the run the whole time. And there's probably a couple others that I'm forgetting. The, the Island of Misfit they, Toys. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And then, so then their whole storyline of them being mm -hmm. forgotten. And then uh, one of the, the first time that this aired in 64, it did not contain that final scene where Santa comes back to the Island of Misfit Toys and, and picks up all of the toys. So uh, he was people, an even bigger jerk and didn't mm. return for the t Misfit Toys? <laughs> yep. And people complained about it, apparently. And that's one of the reasons the following year, they needed to make more room for it. So they put in that number uh, called Fame and Fortune because it was shorter than the We're a Couple of Misfits. The reason they do it now, uh, it, when they do, is to just make more room for commercials. They're doing well, that this year with Charlie Brown, too. They're cutting out some scenes to make more time for commercials. They are, which is I, really, really, really antithetical to the entire... Because it's all about how Christmas is too commercial. <laughs> right, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> but they're, so, they're doing so much in so little time that a lot of the stuff feels unfulfilling, right? There's not like any cathartic moments. Like the, the whole thing with um, Rudolph and Clarice, I think toward the end when he comes home, like they have this one moment where, I don't know if they kiss, but you know, they kind of like snuggle up or something. But it just feels like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about Clarice. Like there's almost, there's no resolution or fulfillment. Well, and, a lot know, of the, the subplots thing. don't have, like just aren't um, tied enough to the main story to right. be relevant. Yep. Like you can lift them out. So you think about how Rudolph is estranged from his father, like that alone, that could be a whole story right there. Right. Any one of these plot lines could be its own story. And if they followed it in any kind of depth, it would feel a lot more fulfilling. This is just like a ton of stuff going on at a very shallow level, I think. So yeah. that's why I think I really like the misfit stuff, the misfit toys, because I feel like out of all the subplots that ties most into 
Rudolph and Hermes journey because they have the whole song where a couple of misfits and they literally find the island where they're supposed to belong full of mm. misfits so for me that works the most out of all the different subplots but like the santa gaining weight stuff and again maybe if they found more ways to tie it all closely to the plot like you said with donner and rudolph like that mm-hmm. should have been like a driving force in the movie this uh mm-hmm. father-son relationship but well the uh and the, the whole feeding Santa, this fattening Santa up sounds very ominous in my opinion. <laughs> I don't They're know. They're going to sacrifice him to the bumble. I don't know what <laughs> Sam, well, I don't know what Sam thinks Mrs. Claus is going to do, but that whole exchange after she's like, eat, Papa, eat, don't worry, she'll fatten him up. <laughs> Are we doing an IV of gravy or what? I mean, it was just very, it's, it's a little unsettling as an adult. Um... I mean, if you ran through quotes, I'd say some of the most memorable quotes in the film are the different ways characters come up with to insult Rudolph's nose. Mm. Honestly. Do you have a list of them there in front of you? I'm just going through my list right now. Um, So when uh, Vixen says, well, we'll simply have to overlook it. And Donner's like, how can you overlook that? His beak blinks like a blinking beacon. (laughs) That's a nice alliteration. (laughs) Yeah, right. And when uh, Santa sees uh, Rudolph had been hiding his nose the whole time, he said, Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. What What a pity. He had a nice takeoff, too. Like, how mean is that? Like, this guy is, like, your best flying reindeer, and it's like, huh, what a pity. He's ugly, so I'm not going to let him leave my sleigh. Oh. I can't stress enough how much I did not like Santa in this movie. I really can't. I get it. It's kind of hard watching it as an adult because there is, when you watch it, you're, you're taken back to the time where you were a kid, right? On the one hand. And then, but then watching it as anyone who's just familiar with how stories work and just, you know, taking it on its own, um, you just see it in a completely different way. I kind of feel like anyone who's never seen it, who is an adult who saw it for the first time today, would have a completely different read on it than anyone who grew up watching it. Uh, I mean, it's, for what it is, for you know, this very cute thing produced in the 60s where animation, the animation industry was really going under a lot of changes at the time. And they were producing some pretty high quality stuff. The idea of like a claymation thing in, high, um, in prime time with this really high quality musical numbers, like that, it was a pretty triumphant feat that they pulled off something like that and that it survived as long as it has. But I do think that we're all in agreement that watching it today as an adult, there's a couple things you notice that are a uh, little, little concerning. Julia, what do your kids think about? What do your kids think of this movie? Um, they they'll sit and watch it, but I think it's a lost on them a little bit, probably. I mean, they're kind of fascinated by it because it's it's fairly new and fresh to them in that they haven't watched it, you know, for years and years and years. But it looks very unique. And I think if it's got one thing going for it, from my perspective, it's the atmosphere. Because again, I I think of all of the movies we've talked about so far, and we will talk about in the future, if we're going to talk about the importance of nostalgia attached to a Christmas movie and how much you love it or whatever, this is the movie to talk about it with. Because there are a bunch of jerk kids in Charlie Brown Christmas. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't Mm -hmm. even care. I love that movie. It's like one of my favorites ever. But like there's a bunch of jerks in this movie and it angers me, but it's because I don't have this long history with it of loving it as a child. So it doesn't really translate to me. 
as well it's even adult. worse in this film because it's the adults being jerks and not just the kids hmm. well the the adults in charlie brown don't even talk they're just wah, well no wah, wah, wah. so it's just <laughs> in all but fairness it, that's usually what i hear when i hear adults talking too <laughs> but that's like but that's the problem for me like okay i can understand kids just being kids like i forgive rudolph's classmates more than i forgive coach or donna or santa in this movie yeah like here's another horrific quote when donner's putting the nose on rudolph all right son try it on i don't wanna daddy i don't like it you'll like it and you'll wear it oh but daddy it's not very comfortable there are more important things than comfort self-respect santa can't (laughs) object to you now like that's awful especially given especially given what santa embodies for children yeah exactly yeah or what he's supposed to yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's it's not my kid's favorite there there are there are some fun quotes i mean i feel like we've been a little harsh on it but there are some great quotes i like in it like uh when hermie and rudolph set off together and her and hermie says hey what do you say we'd be independent together huh that just made me laugh and and (laughs) and and they start talking he's like as long as you don't mind my red nose and he's like no not if you don't mind me being a dentist and then later we learn that rudolph doesn't even know what a dentist is (laughs) I just thought it was so it's also so 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 telling of Rudolph's character that he's perfectly okay with his dentist without even knowing what a dentist is. And I mm. and, and I really did like it when when uh the head elf and Hermie are talking and uh, Hermie's talking about wanting to be a dentist and out of nowhere he's like, well we need one here. I've been studying, it's fascinating. You have no idea. And then just starts listing types of teeth. I don't know where he was going with that, but he gets cut off. He's like molars, bicuspids, and incisors. I wonder what he was going to say about them. <laughs> um, I like King Moon Racer's sentiment about toys. Like when he asked Rudolph to have Santa come back for them, he's like, would you tell Santa about our homeless toys? I'm sure he'll find little boys and girls who'll be happy with them. A toy is never truly happy until it's loved by a child. That's the moral of Toy Story too, right? Like yeah. I just yeah. find that idea really yeah. sweet. How do you guys feel about Santa throwing the toys off the sleigh at the end instead of delivering them himself total cop out yeah yeah (laughs) well they seem to all have their own way of making a safe landing right so except he threw the bird off the sleigh the bird who couldn't fly they threw him off the sleigh without an umbrella did you notice that i did not notice that (laughs) poor little fish bird (laughs) (laughs) i think that's the closest we see to a linus moment from santa i wouldn't say his because even when he gets to the point of of needing Rudolph there it's not really his Linus moment it's it's needing something from Rudolph but when he says when he promises Rudolph as soon as as soon as the storm lets up I'll find homes for all those misfit toys so we see Santa looking past what's wrong with the toys to see what that they really still need a home and wanting to help um that's the closest we get to a Linus moment but this movie does not pass the Linus test that's the closest we get and it's weird because it's a quintessential Christmas movie and it does Mm. not pass the Linus test Mm. also that final scene where, what are we supposed to believe about that continuity-wise? Is that the same night? Because it's not. There's no snowstorm when he comes in and picks them up from the island of misfit toys. I always took it as being sometime later after the storm was over and Christmas was done. But then it just seems like a. When you think about it, it seems like a weird time to just randomly deliver presents. So the, the timeline in general in this movie really. Not it's just weird because uh, Rudolph is still a young reindeer. He doesn't have his antlers yet when they leave. And Sam said, time passed and we got closer to Christmas. So we're all supposed to assume this is the one year 
And then in that close to Christmas week or whatever, Rudolph sprouts mm-hmm. the antlers and turns into this full-grown buck. Yeah, that was, so after he leaves uh, the Island of Misfit Toys and strikes out on his own, again, if we're thinking about it like the hero's journey, like that's the end of act two, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. he sets off on his own. And then, then they just sort of compress that, you know, the Burl Ives comes back, like, yeah, so, you know, a bunch of stuff happened and then he was all grown up, you know, because they, they <laughs> show the little montage, right? Where he's, he makes some rabbit friends and he's playing some polar bear friends, you know, but everyone's chasing him away. You know, you know that's your classic um, compression of time technique, right? But they mm-hmm. just all of a sudden, he seems to like go through puberty and he has antlers and he's like, you know, more or less a, an adolescent uh, reindeer. But yeah, it's, you don't really know how much time is supposed to have passed. But presumably, mm-hmm. Clarice and Vixen slash Mrs. Donner are out looking for him all that time, right? So it can't be that long. I think there, there was much more focus on, on, at least it appears to be, there's much more focus on the physical logistics of creating these claymation characters, which, I mean, let's just think about, that's a huge undertaking. Each frame of that movie is a separate physical movement of a clay figurine. It's, a, it's impressive. And I'm not sure how they did the, the lip syncing, because if you, I mean, they don't do it very well, obviously. Um, but if you look at the, the, the way that the characters' mouths move, you, I can't really tell if that's, the mouths are painted on. And so there's like a different, they have like, you know, a hundred different heads for each character with like a different mouth position. There's even a scene, if you go back and look, when uh, they're at the, the Bumble's lair and Hermie is standing underneath him, like between his legs. In that scene, Hermie doesn't have a mouth. Like he's talking, but he doesn't have a mouth at all. And I think they, they just, that's like a glitch. They got lazy or they forgot to add it in. So maybe it was all done in post or something. Hmm. The lip syncing definitely got better in, uh, as they did more of these claymation specials. Like hmm. um, by the time you get to a year without a Santa Claus, which I think was out of the old school specials. I think that was the last one they did. Maybe was that Rudolph the, the Heat Miser? <clears throat> yeah, Heat Miser. Yeah, that was, um, might've been in the like 71 or 72. Yeah. Um, the, but the lip syncing, lip syncing in that one is definitely a lot more on point than it is in this one. Mm. And even Santa Claus is coming to town. What I, the one thing I do like about Yukon is if you pay attention to the dogs pulling his sleigh, he's got this really interesting collection. He's got those little poodle <laughs> and the St. Bernard, like these two other dogs. And they, ju- they fall off the cliff too, right? Like they're the unsung <laughs> heroes of all this because they fall off the cliff. And then when they, when they all come back, the dogs are there, right? But they just kind of like slip in under the radar with those poor dogs. Yeah, yeah they, yeah, they all jump onto the bumble as he's uh, yeah. wrestling him off, yeah. The little dogs, dogs too. They are, they are. All right, so anybody have any final thoughts about this movie? I think I've covered just about everything I have. My final thoughts would be, again, I love this movie, I do. I've watched it every year. I'm still going to watch it every year. But nostalgia, I think if I saw it for the first time now, I would not have nearly as much love or appreciation for this movie as I did, as I do, because I grew up with it. I think the nostalgia factors into that a lot. And I think compared to the other, well, we're going to cover the other ranking Bass specials, but let's compare it to the one other TV special we did so far, Charlie Brown. I don't think it near, holds up nearly as well as Charlie Brown, which Charlie Brown gets more pertinent with each passing year and more relevant. This one, both in design and in just um, relevance, I don't think it holds up nearly as well. So I have to eat my words about what I said about Charlie Brown at the end of last week's episode. I'm going to go ahead and disagree on the the view, the feel of it and the look. Um, I... 
as I get older, I respect more and more what it took to create this film as I'm watching it. Um, seeing the, the, the claymation and, and understanding more about how all of that works and just seeing, you know, having seen clay workers in my life now, it's, but they, it blows they did it so away. much better with other claymation specials only a year or two around it. Right. I mean, this was the first one though. I mean, this was like their, I mean, I if, we look, if we look at Tim Burton and we look at where his, his art went, I mean, if we look at, you know, for example, Nightmare Before Christmas and compare it to, to Coraline, there's no comparison whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but that doesn't know. that doesn't detract from the fact that that aesthetically the nightmare before christmas had a real visually it was a pretty stunning movie even though it could have right. been better that and we know it could have been better what about you guys what are your final <laughs> thoughts julia and brian yeah i mean i i think my favorite thing about this movie is is the atmosphere and it just it does kind of set that mood for me um the story's all over the place and and i i don't it doesn't resonate with me um in the same way that some others do because it was just not one that i gravitated to when i was younger um but it's got burl lives and it's got some of my favorite christmas music holly jolly christmas yeah so um it's got value for sure and it is really impressive what they did as at a first stab of of claymation like tom was saying i can i'll exalt that all day long because it's remarkable what they did in that year it being a first try so uh it's got huge value whether it's my favorite or not when i was researching this uh for the episode i did on rudolph last year i learned that even though it's been on CBS every year for, I forget how many years now, it's of over 40, but it began its life on NBC. And the program that it was produced on was called the General Electric Fantasy Hour. And as a matter of fact, if anyone has this on DVD, you can see that one of the special features is you can see the original television commercial for it. It says airing on the General Electric Fantasy Hour. And it's, I've never been able to find another show that was aired on the General Ele- Electric Fantasy Hour. And so I, I suspect that the show was created specifically to, to to show Rudolph and then it was dissolved. Um, so that that's just one thing. Like, I don't know if, if anyone has any information about the General Electric Fantasy Hour, by all means, uh, let me know. <laughs> but in terms of how the movie stands up now, I kind of feel like as a piece of entertainment that you sit down and watch, it, it really does not hold up. As something that's part of the Christmas atmosphere, I think it it does hold up very well. It's the kind of thing where if it's on in the background, you might watch it for a couple minutes and you're taken back to that time. Kind of in the same way that if you're in a mall and you hear rocking around the Christmas tree, you're like, oh yeah, it gets you into a Christmassy mood. But mm-hmm. you would never say, oh, you know what I want to listen to right now is rocking around the, or Jingle Bell Rock. I'm going to put that on <laughs> and on repeat. You know, It's one of those things where if it's there, it's, it's awesome and, and it sort of brings you to a certain place. But it's not the kind of thing, I think now as an adult, I would never say, hey, let's put in Rudolph. Yeah. I, well, I think as well, like we, I will say this for everything that came after Rudolph owes Rudolph a debt because it kind of set that Christmas atmosphere. Elf, the mm, North Pole, huge. they drifted straight from Rudolph. Mm-hmm. This is the snowman, the design of the elves costumes, the stop animation animals. So Rudolph has influenced a lot of Christmas stuff that came after it. So, Have any of you guys seen the live action uh, play, the stage adaptation? Yep, I saw it last year for the first time. I have what not. think? What did I think? I thought it was yeah. cute. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? I didn't see it. So is it basically the same? It just follows the plot? It's it's 100% the same. They don't even have like really any new musical or numbers or scenes or anything. It's 100% like what you see on screen on stage. It's cute. Oh, it's like an hour long. 
the, uh, the kids in the audience are going nuts for it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the design, the North Pole on stage, they do such a good job of replicating the North Pole from the movie on stage. It looks magical. So does Rudolph's nose make a noise when it, when it lights up? Yeah. <laughs> it does, really? It does. Really? Well, I, it's like the orchestra or like, you know, the music, uh-huh. the background music playing it. But um, yeah, so whenever his nose would glow, you'd hear the orchestra. Oh, yeah, my goodness. It's cute. How do they do the misfit toys? Are they puppets? Um, Charlie in the Box was not a puppet. But uh, the rest were, yeah. It's kind of like, have you seen The Lion King? Mm-hmm. No, I, I have not. A lot of the Mr. Toys were kind of like The Lion King. Whereas really? You have, hmm. don't, don't get me wrong for anyone listening. The production values are nowhere near as good <laughs> as The Lion King. <laughs> but, but again, they, you kinda, you're emulating such a corny, kind of dated looking special. It was endearing. And they did a good job. I recommend it. If Rudolph tours anywhere near you guys, go see it. It's good. In, t- in terms of favorite quotes, though, I didn't mention this, but when she's saying, eat, Papa, eat, for one of the million times, he's like, how can I eat? That silly elf song is driving me crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to, to rank this movie? Yep. Sure. All right. Brian, what would you give this on a scale of one to ten? We'll let guests go first. Well, um, well, I think it's just that we're we're – ranking this on so many different metrics right like there's just how does it make you feel on the how does it make me feel scale Mm -hmm. i'm probably going to give it an eight right uh in terms of you know the the production the production's good you know i don't the the songs are good the the actual animation is good for what it was so i'd give it an eight on that but then when it comes to the story itself and some of the musical numbers i'm not too hot on and just how it's a little dated now that that's going to take some points off Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm leaning. I'm somewhere in the seven, seven point five area. Okay. I went ahead and gave this movie a seven point seven five. Ooh, hey, hey. Julia, do you have yours picked? Yeah, I'm gonna give it a five point seven five. Ooh, wow! I was expecting I Anthony to be the lowest, but I think you went lower than Anthony's going to. I'm going to be the highest because I'm going to preface this by saying my nostalgia prevents me from scoring it really low. And again, I think if I, I would probably score it around where you did, Julia, if not lower, if I hadn't watched this in full every year my whole life. But I can't, despite, I'm sure when I listen back to this podcast, it's going to sound like I complained the whole time because I did. You did. But I, I still... <laughs> I still love this movie. If I Me see too. it on TV, I will sit down and watch it in full. Yep. And I just feel wrong and dirty. First of all, I am so disappointed in myself because last week I said Charlie Brown's going to be knocked from the top because no way Charlie Brown is better than this, at least in my mind. Well, it is. It I give is. Charlie Brown a 10. Hmm. But I would feel very remiss if I didn't give Rudolph a nine. So okay. I'll, I'll be the one who ups it a little bit on the average. Mm-hmm. That gives us a 7.5. I there can live with that. That's a, that's, I think that's a good solid, solid place for it, honestly. Um, and I, I want to reiterate, I, I think if I had not watched it critically this year, I would have been closer to that nine. But just looking at it critically, I, I killed some of the magic for myself. Yeah, oh. I'm pretty much in the same boat. My nostalgia won over my criticism. Clearly. 
I think you could talk yourself off a ledge, Anthony. I feel like there have been some <laughs> episodes where you've had an initial opinion about it and then you've you've like knocked it and then by the end of the episode you're like, no, I liked my initial opinion about it. I'm going to take everything back. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, do you want to just let people know where to listen to you and follow you on social media and all that good stuff? Sure. So Christmas Past is wherever you find podcasts. Um, and if you want to follow me on social, look for Christmas Past Podcast. So I should clarify, the, the podcast is called Christmas Past, but you need to search for Christmas Past Podcast to find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And all of my show notes and info about the show is at christmaspastpodcast.com. Awesome. Thanks again. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate what you guys are doing and I want to wish you and all your listeners a very Merry Christmas. All right. Well, we've ranked that movie and uh, I'm now a disappointment to my mother. So let's move on and we will uh, <laughs> see what our listeners have to say. I'm going to start with our Twitter interactions. We got uh, some interaction from but Butch Bailey, who uh, just is uh, at Butch Bailey, RYP, who just so you all know, was the man behind the House of Seven Santas uh, inspiration. He inspired the Christmas podcast to get together and do a joint effort. Um, and he, he answered our three questions on Twitter. Um, he thinks that uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is a top five all-time Christmas classic. Agree. I think it's going to stay up there. Disco 54 uh, predicted before we got to it that it was going to make our top three um, on Reddit, which I thought was kind of interesting. And, and it did. He's getting, people are getting to know us, guys. They're getting to know how we're going to rank things. <laughs> when, at, when describing what he does between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Butch Bailey said that he, is, he involves as many as others as possible. His interpersonal connections make each activity more meaningful and long-lasting in memory. And when asked, when asked about Rudolph, he said he can't stand it. It is the only Christmas special that he will not watch. Oh, this Butch guy, he's got it. Ooh. Good <laughs> job, <that> Butch. <laughs> <laughs> Butch is also my dad's name, so well done in the name category. <laughs> and then at Cullen House, who's Rachel Joy, said, uh, replied when we announced that we were doing Christmas Vacation. She said, you know, a movie is a classic when you can spend all night quoting it. Are you guys planning to do Christmas with the Cranks before the end of the year? And unfortunately, we are not going to be hitting that one before the end of the year. Uh, we got asked this week, uh, also in an email, we got asked if we were going to do... Uh, it's a wonderful life soon. Um, we have no intention of this podcast going away. We see ourselves doing this in perpetuity. So we're trying not to get all the classics knocked out at the beginning. We've got to give you guys something to look forward to. We had some Facebook comments as well. You want me to read those? Julia, we'd love to hear you read the Facebook comments. Okay. <laughs> we heard from Rebecca Bowl about Rudolph. She said, I hadn't even heard of this version of Rudolph until Anthony introduced me. It's super cute and fun, but I'm not keen on animal movies, so I don't watch it often. Regarding what she does between Thanksgiving and Christmas and how to make the time last longer, she said, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in the UK, but at that time is when it becomes acceptable to have your tree up and get excited. It's when Father Christmas is available in shopping centers and such, so it's only the start of the festive season for us. Can I just say, I wish we called him Father Christmas instead of Santa Claus. I do I've not. Always, I do. I've always loved Father Christmas. I, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Can you think about how depressing this time of year would be if you didn't have Thanksgiving? 
Oh, I right. I hated be. that in England. It it's a per- it's a perfect break in November. It is. Yeah. We also heard from Stacy McKenzie. She said Anthony with a whole bunch of exclamation points behind it. Stacy. <laughs> I'm so excited listening to this week's podcast. I'm taking my kids to New York City for Thanksgiving next year. Your quick list of Christmas activities are all on our list. Multiple exclamation points. She's excited. So awesome. Okay. So it took me a while to reply to her on Facebook because I did. Because I think initially she first wrote Tom and not Anthony. And then secondly, when she changed it to me, I was like, what list did I give? And then I realized when we were talking about how to slow down the time and i was like oh right Mm -hmm. so um, skating rockefeller center the sleigh ride through central park right so stacy definitely do all those your kids will enjoy them the only thing i would add which i told you on facebook too go see the rock caps too you have to go see the christmas spectacular if you're in town that time of year it's amazing anthony you want to give us a quick rundown of what has happened in our subreddit yeah and let me preface this by saying we get a lot of great interaction on Reddit, but we have to cut it down because we are getting so much now. It's just taking up a load of time. So we're trying to cut down and edit it and streamline this whole thing. But it's pretty awesome because it's actual real like conversations happening. Right, right, right. Oh exactly. God. And like, if you're not there, so even, you should be. Right. Because even though we're editing it down for the show, we are actually fully engaging on the subreddit. So, a thin white duke wrote, I absolutely love Christmas Vacation. It's one of my dad's favorite Xmas movies, and we always used to watch it together. And he also loved the scene that I think Julia called out last week with uh, him in the attic listening to Ray Charles and watching all the old Christmas movies. Aww. Uh-huh. Disco 54, as always, has a ton of great interaction. Um, he's never seen Rudolph. He, they do have Robbie the Reindeer over in England. Have either of you seen Robbie the Reindeer? Mm-mm, I have not. It's funny. It's no Rudolph in my mind, but it's good. Oh, wait. Was it on TV just the other day? And I was like, what was that weird reindeer yeah. movie with the awful <laughs> belly button? And yeah. I was very confused, but that belly button was very off-putting. So I didn't yeah. stick with it. So uh, Disco 54 ended up watching Rudolph, and he was not a fan, nor was his two-year-old daughter. That's the first time either of them had seen it. They loved Charlie Brown. And a lot of the things Disco 54 had to say about Rudolph kind of jived with our complaints throughout this episode. And he said really it's worth, um, it's worth seeing for nostalgia's sake, but uh, it's just not for him. So I can appreciate that. In reference to the question Julia asked last week about the best way to slow down time, Disco 54 said uh, it's get organized for Christmas early. Preparation is key. Um, if you're not panicking throughout December, if you start earlier than that, time won't go by so fast. So I think there is something to that. Okay, now I have to address something because Disco 54 is pretty upset and annoyed with my Christmas vacation ranking of 8.5. I kind of am too. Yeah, me too. He, he said, what is the world coming to? <laughs> These are sad times indeed when the greatest Christmas comedy doesn't deserve at least a nine from everyone. I would like to apologize to everyone. (laughs) Up until this point, we haven't had a master list of what each of us ranked each movie we cover individually. And uh, (laughs) when I look, when I was going through it today, I realized 
the scores I've given previous movies, if I had seen that, I would have ranked National Lampoon at least a nine. So if I could go back and change it, I would. I don't know if Tom and Julie would let me. So if, maybe take it up with them if you have a problem. But in retrospect, I would give it a nine. You know, I'm... I'm, I'm open to this. I'm okay with it. Yep. Okay, so nine. There's your new score. So what does that do for our numbers? I have it up right now. I'll let you know. Let me just. That's what she some. said. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. That was solid. That would bring our new score to 9.41, which still leaves it in third place, but it's much closer to second now. So it's, we're changing it based on a matter of principle, right? Based on a matter of, yeah, I couldn't have it lower than some of the other things I ranked. I, I respect that. I mean, I do. I get, I get where you're coming from. But um, um, I won't have to change anything in the future because we have a list now and I can go through it when I'm ranking. Oh, he also had something to say about Brian. Julia, do you want to read that? Because you have the perfect voice to read it. Yeah, so this, this made me very happy because it's exactly how I felt talking to Brian tonight. So Disco54 said, Speaking of nostalgia, I couldn't be more pleased Brian is on next week. I love Brian, the calmest, most reasonable man in the world. If he told me he was having an affair with my wife and I had Ebola, I'd be fine with it. He'd do it in that perfectly soft, lulling, restful, Brian-esque way, and I'd be so happy for them both. It's perfect. You're so right about that. (laughs) His voice is just, it makes me happy. And the last thing Disco 54 had to say was, and I think this is directed at me because he didn't call it out, but I was the only one I think this referred to last week. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Yep. Um, He was asking why so harsh on Hallmark movies. Yes, they're formulaic and simple to watch, but that's their strength. They make people feel good with warm fuzzies. I think I pretty much explained that last week. It's uh I just find it lazy. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but you're not saying anything bad about them or you don't enjoy them. I mean, they're, they're good for what they are. Um, and I they're, think no, they're I think, good for what they are. And I think Hallmark knows what they're writing. Um, Absolutely. And look, I like a lot of Hallmark movies, but it's like I said last week, I probably will be harsher on them when I grade because I am harsher on very formulaic things of all genres from all companies. I'd rather take a chance than just play it safe. I pointed out three in the subreddit that I actually saw this weekend that I really liked. The Christmas Train. Um, I think it's called The Crown for Christmas. I found a schmaltzy, but I really liked that one. And uh, I don't know the name of it. It's not called Secret Santa. It's, uh, it's your typical Hallmark movie where... Two co-workers who hate each other first work together on a project and the pretty blonde gets a handsome gentleman for her secret Santa. So she has to figure out what he wants for Christmas. So she sets up an anonymous online account and starts messaging him to try to get to know him better. I liked it. It was cute. My final thought, that Disco 54, I like Hallmark movies. It's just when it comes to grading, just I want you to be prepared. I probably will grade them a lot harsher than I do other Christmas movies. It means he'll probably give him a seven and then a week later request we bump it up to an eight. (laughs) 
You know what? I will never request. I will never request an Arthur Christmas. Here's your Arthur reference. I knew it was coming. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. So just a reminder, uh, we do have a Patreon and um, we'll hopefully have stickers ordered and Christmas cards ready to send out in the next week or two. Tom, what do, what is the benefit besides extra content of donate? Why should people donate to our Patreon? You know, it helps us continue to create content. Uh, it helps cover our, our expenses. And we're going to send you some cool stuff. We're working on a Christmas sticker. Um, I'm thinking next year about making some Christmas enamel pens because um, those seem to be pretty fun right now. And uh, you can get Christmas cards from the elves, all sorts of fun stuff. Check it out. Uh, just go to patreon.com and search Tis the Podcast. Awesome. And as we're wrapping up, Let's be sure to, we're going to be sure to ask you to rate, review, and like us on social media. Um, you heard Brian say, talk about the importance of uh, getting the, of, of iTunes and things for getting the words out. So if you're, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please just take a minute, review, review us, give us a rating. Um, everything helps. Um, share our page, engage and share with, engage with our Twitter, share our Twitter handle, subscribe to the podcast. And of course you can always visit our website, website, tis the podcast. Um, anything helps. We're just trying to get the word out. Um, this is a labor of love. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, each week we record and it's usually uh, a couple of hours of recording and then, uh, we alternate weeks, but it's about a 10 hour uh, week editing to edit the audio down to a podcast for you. We really ask for nothing in return. The only thing we'd like to do is be able to cover our costs and continue to grow the podcast and have some cool giveaways and, and swag and merch. Um, but Anthony, Next week is going to be really exciting, right? I am really excited for next week's episode because they're doing something kind of different too. We're covering two Christmas specials slash movies next week. We're covering the animated Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And we're covering the live action Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So it's going to be really fun to compare and contrast them with one another and see where we stand on them. I'm curious to see if the Grinch holds up, the animated Grinch holds up more like Charlie Brown does for us or more like Rudolph does for us. And I'm curious to get everyone's opinion on the uh, live action adaptation. I have strong feelings. I love one of them, and I can't stand one of them. So tune in next week to hear a highly opinionated Tom. I'm going to say I love both of them. I'm going to say I like Faith Hill's song in that movie. Faith Hill's song is awesome in that movie. But So do your homework. Watch two of two both versions this week. I'm sure since... Uh, what is it? Oh, it's the first week of December right now. Full week of December. So I'm sure they'll be playing ad nauseum. So watch both. Do your homework. I got to. Uh, so I was thinking this week, guys, about what to ask you, what I could do to learn a little bit more about your, your, the, what flies under your Christmas freak flag. Uh, and I was wondering what are, what is your favorite Christmas candy or sweet? What do you have to have every year? I like the Reese's peanut butter trees. They are better. I don't know how, but they taste better uh, than Reese's peanut butter. Let me tell you what the difference is. It's the chocolate to peanut butter ratio. And it is the lack of rigid ridge on the peanut butter cup. 
it's all soft and it's all mushy and it's the perfect proportion of peanut butter to chocolate. I agree. I, I like them. it. I like, I like the eggs at, at Easter, but they're still not as good as the yes. tree. The tree no, is the best. best. I'm actually going to say the egg is better than the tree, but the tree is my favorite Christmas sweet. Hands down. Um, For me, it, my, uh, what I love about Christmas it is my favorite ice cream comes out. I am a big fan of peppermint ice cream. Mm. I love Bluebell's peppermint ice cream. Oh, I have not tried it. Is it so a, good? It's in the stores. They have a peppermint bark too this year, which I tried. And um, and it's like white chocolate and other stuff. It's, it's not no. the same. The, the peppermint ice cream is really good. <gasps> oh, I'm excited. But as far as candy goes, it is definitely the Reese's Christmas trees, hands down. Um, and I also really like the red and green M&Ms. I know there's no difference in flavor, but the red and green ones taste better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say like all candy tastes better around Christmas just because they're in red, green, and silver wrapping. Right? Mm-hmm. No, no joke. We have. Ooh, I've got a second a bu- favorite. We have a bucket over there of Christmas candy, and it's just all the stuff you can get all year round. But it's the Christmas Reese's and the red and green Nestle Crunch and Kit Kat and all. Do you have the York peppermint kisses. patties? I don't like peppermint. Oh, that's right. Well, let's ride that peppermint train. And the York peppermint patties that come out at Christmas time are also extra tasty. I grew up not liking York peppermint patties, but I will try one of the Christmas ones. Do you like peppermint? I do now. I like them now, but I didn't as a kid. But I like real Ah. peppermint. I didn't like the mushy. It was the texture thing for me. Have you ever taken a York peppermint patty and just broken it in half by your ear? It makes one of the most delightfully satisfying noises you'll ever hear. I'm not kidding. Hmm. It's like a little... A little, it's great. It's so good. Do you guys have any uh, Christmas trips on your bucket list? Anything you want to see, do anywhere you want to go or see or do for Christmas? I would like to spend Christmas somewhere um, like in Northern Europe where it's icy and cold and you can see the uh, Aurora Borealis. I just want to spend (gasps) Christmas there one year. That would be magical. My, My cousins have done it and they say it's the most beautiful thing. And all these places, I think it's Finland, amazing mm-hmm. reviews on Yelp. The only bad reviews are from people, and I know it would happen to me if I ever booked the trip. It's not the fault of the hotel, but they go during a week where it's raining and they don't get to see the sky at all. Like, I would oh. be heartbroken if that was me. Yeah, that would be sad. Yeah. I will say if you're in North America, you don't have to go far to see the Aurora Borealis. So where Sarah's from in Newfoundland, if you go to northern Newfoundland, you can see it during the winter. I really want to go I really want to go spend a Christmas in, in Sweden or Norway. It'd be amazing. And also uh, I want to I want to go to Germany and see the uh, Christmas markets. Oh yeah. and of course Potter World. I want to someday go to Mackinac Island in Michigan for Christmas. So it is a no cars allowed island and they have a ton of cool stuff there year round. But at Christmas, it's like, like the quintessential main street America Christmas. They have a big tree in the middle and they light it all and it's a very small town feel and I want to go there so bad. I would like to hit everything on that link we shared in the group Facebook group once that said the 12 yeah. best places to visit in America at Christmas. I would like to hit yeah. every one of those. Julia, you want to you lead us out? Tell us uh, the good news. It's not just good news. It's great news. We are officially only 21 days away from Christmas, guys. 21 days. Three weeks. Three weeks. It's going to fly by. It is. <laughs> 
Bye, guys. <laughs> Remember, guys, we are Santa's elves. Literally. Julia, can you sing it? We oh, I don't are Santa's well elves. We are Santa's elves. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet. Ho, ho, the mistletoe.